Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for um, an atmosphere where we get to gather in faith because of who you are, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our foundation, that you go before us, you go behind us, you're all around us, you're over us. And we just announced this morning that we are your people. We thank you, God, for a beautiful day. We pray that tonight you will shut the mouths of the lions who are playing the Broncos. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Don't have a chance. All right. Um, I love we get to share these stories um, of Jesus healing people and, and what's happening in the community and different Jesus things that are happening because I think what's brilliant about um, kingdom community, this is what we are, you know, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, us as the bride of Christ, as covenant people of God, the ones that Jesus has brought together to love each other to the degree that he loves us, as we get to do what he's doing. And I, what I love about Jesus is that as he walked this earth and he's calling disciples to himself, he could have used any invitation he wanted to, uh, but pretty much everyone got the same invitation. Two words, right? What was it? Follow me. And it's really cool because he could have used any two words to invite participation, right? I mean, he could have gone around the countryside saying, hey, you know, if you want to be my disciple, please vote for me in the next election, right? Subscribe to my email list, right? Like me on Facebook, right? No, but he says, he said, everybody pretty much got the same invitation. Follow me. And, and what those two words do, I, I think it's really important that we get this. The simplicity of be, being a disciple of Jesus is the words follow me more or less assume that the people around him had the ability to see what he was doing, to hear what he was saying, and to join him in that work. And it was the, the assumption that we get to move in all the same places he's moving. I don't think that invitation has changed for us. The, the invitation to follow him, and it involves us being able to pay attention to Jesus, what are you doing? And you know, we've all heard of that question in the bracelet, what would Jesus do? I think a better question is, what is Jesus doing? We don't need to talk past tense about the work of Jesus on earth and what he, what's happening on earth and what's happening in the kingdom. And, and more and more, I've just been convicted and compelled in the places when I wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, what are you doing today? Give me a glimpse of what, what are you up to? What are you thinking about? What are you talking about? What do you want to talk to me about today? Because we know that Jesus is not just a good I- idea. He's a, li- he's a person. He's alive. He's living. We, he's, not, he's not just a good idea, a good teacher that used to live, that we're trying to do what he says. He's like, he is alive and he's here. I know that sounds basic, but this is a, a fundamental um, principle for us as we are continuing to follow Jesus. It's not just follow me until you're in the club. Then you can stop following me and you go do something else. It's no, a life of following him. And so that involves us continually paying attention. What are you doing? And, I'm, and even this morning as I'm talking with people, just continue to ask the question even to other people. What is Jesus doing today? What's he doing? What's the Lord doing? Um, 
But then sometimes it's hard to see what he's doing to know what he's doing. And I I do think that there's certain things that sometimes prevent us from being able to see the present work of Jesus and what he's talking about and where he's walking. And I want to take a look at a story um, in the scripture. And uh, I'm going to try to go at this as fast as I can. Luke 24. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And this is an incredible passage. This is the first passage in the book of Luke right after the resurrection. So Jesus goes to the cross. He's buried three days. He rises. We read the resurrection story. This is the next passage. And I think that's an important passage, the next passage after the resurrection, because we get to see, again, what matters to Jesus. And then also we get to see some of the nature and the properties of resurrection itself. And it's the story of the, t- of the, the two that were on the road to Emmaus. We don't know if they were men. Um, a lot of people believe it was a husband and a wife, Cleopas and his wife. But I'm going to read this first p- part of this story, okay? And, and we're going to dive into this for a second. It says this, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is the conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in the last days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And so, this is a really fascinating story again. The story right after the resurrection. Two of his disciples were on a road away, away from Jerusalem, away from where everything happened. And it's really important that we catch a couple things here. That they are on their way away from a place of death and destruction and carnage and and they're walking to, a, to another place. And, and we read that Jesus, this is the very first thing he does after he appears to Mary. It says that he catches up with them on the road. That they're on the road away from all of these expectations and all this whole idea of what they thought was going to happen. And we read it in the story. They're sad. They're distraught. They're processing. They're sharing the story with each other on the road away from Jerusalem, on the way for where everything was supposed to happen. They're now in a place of walking away from that, trying to make sense of this. And it says that Jesus, he draws near to them. In some translations, it said that he catches up with them. And you get this picture of them walking away from Jerusalem, and Jesus, after his resurrection, is trailing behind, looking out for them. And they're talking about what, what happened. And I love that Jesus, they don't know who he is, and he catches them talking, and so he asks them, what are you talking about? hey, what's up? What are you guys talking about, right? 
And we don't know if he already knew what they were talking about. I have, you know, I, you, you kind of assume that, may, okay, you're Jesus. You probably know. You probably know something that's going on here. But I love that Jesus even would even ask and be curious about what his disciples are talking about after everything that had happened just happened. Just curious to know what is going through their minds and through their hearts. And so they start to tell him, well, haven't you heard? I mean, are you the only one who doesn't know what just happened? You know, the things that have happened. And he says to them, hmm, what things, right? You almost get a sense, you ever watch that show Undercover Boss, right? It's like the CEO of 7-Eleven goes in to like buy a coffee and a hot dog and, you know, bust them, you know, doing something crazy in the store, right? You always get a sense that Jesus is, he's curious of what would occupy the minds of his followers and his disciples, right? He's curious, what, what are they talking about? And it's an interesting question. If you think about what if Jesus kind of dropped into my day and caught me in a conversation, you know, and, you know, he asked me, what are, you, what are you guys talking about? It's an interesting thing to think about that he is curious on the things that occupy our minds and our, and our, and our hearts, but they still didn't recognize it. They still didn't know who he was and what was going on here. And I think it's the next clue that gives us, a, the next verse that gives us a clue as to why. Verse 25, after they go through their whole spiel, they talk about their narrative about what just happened. And they give their best estimation about what's going on and, and why they're so distraught. He listens to them and he listens to their process. And then he responds to them. And in verse 25, he says this to them. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, interpreted, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And you guys know it's not a good day when Jesus calls you a fool, right? <laughs> Let's just chalk that up to bad day on planet Earth. Son of God just called me a fool, right? But I, I love... I love the way that Jesus is able to kind of stoop into their process and listen and, and intently be curious about what it is that concerns them. But then he wasn't afraid to kind of slip in there and, and reverse that and says, listen, you've come up with this whole thing, this whole narrative about your life or your, your part in this thing or what just happened in God's plan. But don't be foolish. Your hearts are slow. You have a slow heart to believe. And it doesn't say this, but I'm wondering if this is why they didn't recognize Jesus in the first place. Because he says that, listen, you, if, if your hearts weren't so slow, you might actually come to understand what the Scripture is actually saying about what was supposed to happen to me and the promises of God that were foretold in the past. If your hearts weren't so slow to believe, you might actually be able to track with everything going on. And what we see here, I think, is a really important principle that... I, I really believe that, that we, we, need to, we need to get this and we need to understand this about what it means to recognize Jesus on a day-to-day basis because their disappointment, their disappointment and their unmet expectations led to a deceleration of their hearts, their heart's ability to believe in what he was doing. And we have to understand about that. I think disappointment in the past can actually blind us to Jesus walking in the present. Our disappointment and the things that we thought were going to work a certain way in the past can actually blind us to the present and active work of Jesus even when he's walking right beside us. And it's hard 
to hold on, just as it was for these two disciples. Sometimes it's hard for us to hold on to our promises, promises from God, when it doesn't look like they're panning out like we thought they would. Are you guys with me on that? I remember, there's a, a few years ago, we were in Brazil, 2012, and uh, we were doing ministry. We did a Resound event down in Brazil. It was great. A bunch of, bunch of you guys were there. And uh, it was one weekend. It was a Sunday night, and I was invited to go speak at this church that was on, you know, just, you know, an hour away or something like that. And it was one of those times where you're on the trip, and you're, you're just amped up for every moment. And I remember being really excited, anticipating what the Lord was going to do at this particular meeting. And I was asking God, just like, you know, John was saying earlier, I was asking God, God, what, do you have any... Do you have any words for me? Is there any, like, impressions you'll give me? Maybe there's somebody there tonight that needs to hear something very specific to their heart and, or a specific ministry you want to do. And so I'm asking the Lord, you know, earlier in the day, and, and there's a couple things that came to mind, and they, I felt like they were really strong. Like, I, he, he spoke them to me, and, and then I just had this assurance of, like, man, the Lord, the Lord is going to do work. To, there's something that's going to break, break open tonight. There was faith in my heart, and I felt like it was a gift from the Lord for that time and for that group. And it was pretty amazing because we, we got to the church and, and uh, we went through a time of worship and I began speaking. And, uh, you know, the talk was, it was okay. It, it wasn't as going as well as I thought it was going to go. I, I mean, that's what was my perception of it, right? You just never know with these types of things. And you get working with translators. I had a great translator. And it got to the end of the ministry time. I'm like, all right, here we go. This is it. This is where it's going to go down right here. And I started praying, you know, and praying the heart of God over, you know, each person and blessing them. And then there was a couple of specific words that I got early in the day. One of them was for a woman. I felt like there was a woman there who had recently lost her husband. Okay, now this is a group of about 75, right? And I was like, okay. You know, it's specific, but come on, not that specific, right? I mean, I don't know. I was kind of going through the thing, and I'm just trying to pay attention. to God, is this, is, this for ten, is this what you're saying? Is this for tonight? I don't know. Let's try it. And so I just kind of call it out. I feel like there's somebody here, there's a woman here, you know, who recently lost a husband, right? And, and just raise your hand and scanning the room and nothing, right? I mean, no head nods. You know, everyone is looking, scanning the room with me, and everyone's pretty certain nobody is raising their hand at this point in time. Okay? And so, you know, you kind of go back to the drawing board. I'm like, all right, what can I do here on this? Is there anybody... You know, you start kind of decreasing the word because you're scared a little bit, right? And so that's what happened with me. I'm like, all right, does anybody know somebody that may have died at some point in their life? You know, <laughs> then hands pop up. Oh, praise God. Oh, that's great. The Lord is doing stuff. And I was just like, I didn't know what to do. I, was, I felt like really discouraged in the moment. I'm like, God, I thought I heard from you. Then I, I, I step out in faith, and there's obviously nobody here in that particular scenario. And so I'm like, all right, let's go for round two. You gave me two words today. I'm going to go for round two. So I had another word, and it had to do with a, a, a man in the place who was just um, uh, in bondage to shame and just had so much shame in their life that they didn't, uh, they, they felt like they were excluded from the love of God and they couldn't reconcile that. And it was like so much shame that they've distanced themselves from the invitation to, to dine with Jesus at the table, right? And so, so I start calling out this word, you know, okay, there's a, there, I believe there's a man here, and maybe you've just been held down in this place of shame, and, and I'm looking around the room, like, anybody, right? Nobody, nobody in the room. I was just like, it's devastated. I was like, what in the world? And, you know, obviously, when you miss two words in a row, you know, uh, when you kind of perceive that maybe I just blew it here, 
Um, there's a lot of thoughts running through your mind, right? Like, first of all, am, am I a fraud? Do I even know how to hear from God, right? I don't even know, I don't even know if I trust my relationship with Jesus anymore. Uh, this is just crazy. Maybe we're all just making this up, right? But I'm thinking, not only that, but I've just missed two, like, prophetic words. Like, what if they take me outside and stone me at this point in time, right? Like, this could go really bad. Like, someone's going to surely talk to me after this, right? And, and, uh, and so I, I, after that ministry time, I'm trying to kind of be there in the moment, but then, like, I, I just felt, like, pretty discouraged and disappointed. Like, man, I, that, God, I thought I heard from you. I'm trying to hold these things and be obedient, and it just didn't go like I thought. You know, and the end of the service, and people were really encouraging and stuff, but inside I was just like, ah, I was just kind of disappointed, and I was trying to, like, you know, I was kind of in another zone in the room, right? And different things are happening. People are trying to talk to me. My translator comes up and says, hey, can we, can we talk? I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe in a little bit. Just, you know, in, in my own zone here. And he comes up again later, my, this translator. He's like, no, 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 can we, can we talk in, in the side room? I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. I mean, he's probably going to tell me, like, hey, you missed it, bro, right? That's what I'm thinking. So we go into the side room, and, and this translator, his name is Ray, he says to me, um, he says, I just want you to let you know that that second word that you gave, but a man that was just caught up in shame, he's like, that one was for me. He said, I didn't know what to do because I was translating for you. <laughs> Which you, you can imagine, that would be an awkward moment if we start kind of going at it right there, right? Um, he's like, I didn't know what to do. He's like, I, had, I, did, I was doing everything I could do inside of me to keep it together, to hold it together so I could finish translating for you. And he comes in the room, he's like, you don't know. He's like, there's things that I've done you wouldn't believe. And he's like, I, I have made ba- I've made choices in my life that have left me with diseases and different things and consequences in my body. And it's like, I just don't know if I can trust that. I don't know if Jesus really has love big enough to, to cover the stuff that I've walked through. And, and so in a moment, like, you know, just being able to minister the heart and love of God to him, you know, he puts his head on my shoulder, and he just starts weeping, and I'm just holding him, and, and it was like, and, and so for me, it was this, this place of, it's an important moment, because if he didn't come to me, I could have walked away from that place just thinking, dude, I just blew it, that, that, this whole thing is bogus, I'm totally discouraged, uh, why do I even hold on, why do I even ask God to speak anymore, because it doesn't, doesn't work out, type of thing. But God was faithful even to me in that moment to show, like, listen, you may not know what's happening when you're holding on to the promises of God, but even in a moment like that, God is working, and, and even through this man, he wasn't able to respond right away, but the word of God was able to go forth and minister in power. And I think it, I think it really matters today, because in that particular situation, my, in my disappointment, I could have missed that Jesus was still, still working even when I couldn't see it. And don't you know, don't you love that even with these men, the, this couple, these disciples that were they're on their way to Emmaus, even in their place of trying to reconcile, where is Jesus, where is the work of God and all of this, Jesus' remedy for their disappointment wasn't just to talk them out of it, but he was, his remedy was to remind them of the promises of God, starting from Moses all the way through all the scriptures. And don't you love that about Jesus and resurrection? That resur- resurrection has this ability to chase us down wherever we're at to convince our hearts of what's true about him. This is the nature of Jesus and the places where we have walked away and let go of dreams and promises and been in disappointment. Jesus 
And the resurrected Christ has a way of meeting up, catching up with us down the road and saying, let me remind you of what is true and what is good. And I think some of us here have specific dreams and words over your life. You have promises of your life, and maybe it feels like you've walked away from some of those because you haven't known what to do with them. And even as a house, we have promises and words over this house that Jesus has every intention to come and walk alongside with us and catch up with us down the road and remind us, hey, don't forget about this and this and this and this. This is who you are. I was talking with my friend Jerry before the service. He was telling me about this healing, and he was just commenting on how it's interesting that when we get a disease, we first go and study the disease before studying the cure. How often do we do that? When something goes wrong, all of a sudden we we go and we see what WebMD has to say about it first. We want to get the full weight of this. I need to go get some, some opinions from different places. What if we become a people who are not just aware of the problems, but we study the promises that God gives us so we can continue to possess the land? We are not a people that shrink back. We are a people that God deposits faith into to inherit the promises that he's given to us. This is the type of people we are. And so here's this, what's interesting. At this point, they still don't know this is Jesus, okay? So it continues. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to where they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. I love that. Jesus is acting now, right? He's like, oh, I'll see you guys later. You know, he's waiting for an invitation. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has even appeared to Simon. Then these disciples said, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So they don't know who he is until they invite him in and they're around him at the table. Now they weren't at the Last Supper, so they didn't get that whole bit. But they're with him at the table and there was something about this moment where Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it to them. In this moment, something was unlocked in their seeing. They could see this is Jesus. And it's pretty fascinating when you look at that because what is the table? What is the Lord's Supper? What is the breaking of bread? It's this place of intimacy. It's this place of fellowship. It's a place of being around a table, not just with Jesus, but with each other. This place of relationship. See, they didn't recognize Jesus when they were just processing the narrative of everything they thought had happened. They recognized Jesus when they made intentional time to fellowship with him at his table. And even Jesus in the breaking of the bread, this is something that we're just going to be understanding for the rest of our lives. There's something in the breaking and the sharing of our bread that he's even saying, in this moment, this is how you know that I'm near to you. Even as you take this bread, as you eat it, as that bread is ingested into your body, that is how near I am to you in my promise to you. So when he says, remember me, it's not just, remember me because I'm a good idea. He says, remember that I am near to you. And it was in this moment of nearness that something unlocked in their eyes. 
And here's something else you have to understand about this. This is what I love about the writers of the New Testament, specifically the Gospels. Very little of the Gospels is just coincidence. They are very purposeful and poetic in what they're grabbing from the Old Testament and how they're relating it to a new creation. Because there's another couple in the Scripture who partook of a meal and their eyes were opened. It happened in Genesis 3. Where Adam and Eve would would partake of the first meal recorded in Scripture, which was the fruit of a tree that was forbidden. And as they took from that tree and they disregarded the instruction from the Lord, something in that moment happened where they ate from the apple, ate from the fruit, and what does it say? Their eyes are opened. But what what were their eyes open to? I'm naked. So what was happening? In this meal, in that first meal, their eyes were open to realize that all of a sudden now there was this distance between them and God, and it was their friendship and relationship with God that had been their covering up until that moment. They didn't realize they were naked because they were in complete union and covering by God. But in a single moment, as they, as they decided differently, as they made another decision, they ate from an, a fruit, and then they realized their distance In the same way, the first meal of the new creation, which is on the road to Emmaus and the breaking of the bread, as Jesus would hand these two disciples the bread, their eyes were open not to distance, but to his nearness. The new creation meal is much better. The new creation meal was a reversal of the the, the original creation meal, where their eyes were not open to distance any longer, but all of a sudden to nearness. Now I can see you. And then what what do we read right after that? Not only did they see him, but they could look back on the last 24 hours and see, not only do we see him now, but did not our hearts burn within us earlier in the day? Isn't it awesome when we experience in fellowship with Jesus, we get to see his, the narrative of his goodness and his faithfulness in every season we walk through. And Jesus is there to catch up with us on the road to remind us of who he is, the promises given to us in Scripture, and through his faithfulness to send his word to us, And I believe that this morning, God is wanting to just come in and swoop in for some of us and let you know that he's catching up with you on the road. And he has every intention to dissolve your disappointment in yourself and your unmet expectations. Because as we're able to recognize and see what Jesus is doing, we're able to partner with him in the new creation to ask the question, who is it, who else is there that we need to chase down to to whisper the promises of God into their ear? This is the work we get to do. And so this morning, we're going to receive communion together. And I want us to be reminded again as we partake of of the, the cup and of the bread that it is not just an act of remembering something that happened long ago, but The communion is our invitation to be a part of the road to Emmaus and this supper of new creation as well. That God is not distant, that he is right near us. And as we fellowship with each other in the supper, as we fellowship with him in this supper, there's something that turns inside of us where our eyes can become unlocked and the same promise for these two disciples is available for us today that we can begin to see Jesus in a whole new way where we can respond, did not our hearts burn within us as he shared with me his word. So together, around the room, you'll see two tables in the front and two tables in the back. Would you mind um, 
standing, going to a table and taking the elements and bringing them back to your chair, please. And then we'll receive communion together. as we hold the cup and the bread we'll wait for our friends in the back to continue thank you, Jesus, that this supper is both human nourishment and divine nourishment, God. The place where we gather with each other and in your presence. We thank you, Jesus, for fellowship with you through your body and through your blood. I thank you, Jesus, that you've made yourself known both in word and in this meal. and that we can experience your presence in a personal way. God, I thank you that each one of us is a first-generation Christian. Now, all Christians are first-generation Christians because we get to relate directly to you, Jesus. And I thank you, God, that even as we partake today, that we get to be promised and invited into the same experience, Lord God, that in your nearness, as you break the bread, which we know is your body, and pass it to us, God, I thank you 
that you give us eyes to see you in a whole new way in our lives. And so, Father, as we partake of the cup, we thank you for your blood, which was poured out for us. We thank you for the blood of the covenant, God, that you demonstrated your love to us in this way, God, not through a good idea, through a theory, or through a new philosophy, but you laid down your life for us, and you literally poured out your blood for all humankind in any condition. And I thank you, Jesus, that this blood is strong enough to withstand, God, any pain or grief in our life, unmet expectations, or shame that we walk through. And I thank you that this blood ushers us into a whole new future. We thank you, God. Let's partake of the cup together. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus with his body. I thank you that he resurrected in the body. show us that you care even about our bodies, God. And as his body was wounded and beaten and broken in half, we thank you, Jesus, that you took what we deserved, Lord God, and you joyfully endured the cross on our behalf so that you could fellowship with us even today and in this moment. We thank you for your presence, and as we take the body and the bread would you present your nearness and your faithfulness to us in a brand new way, Jesus? Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. So this morning, I just want to declare that many of you are going to have Emmaus Road experiences. Jesus is going to chase you down begin reminding you of who he is and the promises of old that you may have let go of. While you're looking forward, he's going to draw near from behind and suddenly begin to prompt you to remember things that you've forgotten. And as your hearts burn within you, there will be a sense of his nearness and faithfulness. You will no longer be slow of heart. Rather, you will be filled with a new faith and belief to follow Jesus into a brilliant future. Amen. Amen.